0: Google may soon start reading your Android messages, Raspberry Pi is going public, rumors that Monero can be traced, and more. Welcome to SR165, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. Thank you all for tuning in and staying safe out there. I'm Henry from Techlore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil and promo segment uh always our patreon is the best way to support us that's how we get the recurring income to keep doing this uh, pretty much every week so thank you all of our patrons who are there supporting us it's by far um, the way that we are able to bring in the most amount of money to keep this sustainable so thank you all and you can join them over at patreon.com surveillance pod and you also get some perks like being able to join our q a and you also get vip episodes with a little bit more content and a little bit less of these segments uh, we're also on liberpay and yes We're also, ironically, uh, we also accept (laughs) Monero. So I guess we're going to see how this Monero thing pans out. Uh, But as of right now, we still support Monero. But uh, we're going to get into the story in a sec. uh, Wouldn't that be funny if we
1: get to the end segment and it's like, so we don't support Monero anymore? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, It's very hype. It's... Stick around, stick around.
1: So our highlight story says Google update reveals AI will read all your private messages. We're going to start off strong here, quoting the article. And this is actually uh, quoting, I forget his name, but it's one of the Google spokespeople. It's an AI assistant. uh, Actually, this might come from Bard directly. It's an AI assistant, explains Bard's chat when asked. They can improve your messaging experience from facilitating communication to enhancing creativity and providing information. It will be your personal AI assistant within your messaging app. Quoting a little bit further down in the article, but Bard's chat also acknowledges that it may ask to analyze your messages quote to understand the context of your conversations your tone and your interests unquote it may analyze the sentiment of messages quote to tailor its responses to your mood and vibe and it may analyze your message history with different contacts to understand your relationship dynamics to personalize responses based on who you're talking to normally we wait until the end to inject personal opinion but i'm just kind of going in order here to me that is not super scary number one assuming you can opt out of it we can only hope um the article actually didn't specify if you can or not you might be able to but my my concern when i was reading this is i was like okay but all this can theoretically be done on device right Quoting the article, These will be sent to the cloud for processing, used for training, and may be seen by humans, albeit anonymized. This data will be stored for 18 months and will persist for a few days, even if you disable the AI. Okay, so you can disable it. Apologies. Albeit manual deletion is available. Such requests fall outside Google Messages' newly default end-to-end encryption. You're literally messaging Google itself. So that was the part that concerned me. It looks like Google is rolling out an AI, as the title says, to uh, read all your messages because apparently everything needs AI nowadays. It's the new buzzword that everybody's got to jump on. And it, it doesn't know. We don't know exactly what it does because it gives us very vague and nonspecific answers that sound useless. But they're rolling it out. You can disable it, which I think we're both going to recommend probably. And um, yeah, uh, it, it again, like I said, if it stayed on your device, I probably might be saying like... Eh, it's personal preference, but they straight up admit that it won't. So I, I don't recommend this if you are worried about your privacy. And anonymized, like, how are you going to anonymize my relationships, my interests, my, like, oh my gosh. That's uh, all I got on that one. You...
0: <laughs> yeah, the only thing I have to say is I think this is where the Google versus Apple approach really comes comes through. Because a lot of things that Apple does tend to be on device. Not everything. Not everything. But if Apple rolled something like this out, I would assume that it would be done locally. And so, of course, Google
1: took this approach. It's funny you mention that. Update on January 29th. The latest update on Apple's own efforts to introduce generative AI into iOS suggests its intent to keep everything on device might not be as firm as expected. Um, According to 9to5Mac, iOS 17.4 code suggests Apple is testing four different AI models. Uh, this includes two versions of Apple's internal model, AJAX GPT, including one that is processed on device and one that is not, unquote. Apple is seemingly checking results from its own AI models against ChatGPT. GPT. It is including an iMessage interface as part of this, and it's not all on device. So I'm with you. Normally you would expect yeah, Apple yeah. to be the ones who are things. like... But uh, we'll yeah, apparently this will be one of those exceptions possibly. Yeah, I guess we'll see.
0: I, I do have a hard time believing that Apple... I mean for all i know i could be wrong but it's just it's very off-brand for apple to roll out some like cloud processing ai nonsense to all their phones so if it happens then obviously same issue as google here but uh definitely should be interesting to see what happens now we're going to go ahead into data breaches and the first one is from keenan who has warned that 1.5 million people were hit by a data breach after a summer cyber attack this is a California-based insurance brokerage and consulting firm with an established presence in the education, healthcare, and public agency sectors. It incurred in August of 2023, and it included full names, of births, SSNs, passport numbers, driver's license numbers, health insurance information, and general health information. The exact types of information exposed in the incident vary per individual, depending on their relationship with the firm. From the above, the breach appears to impact both customers and employees.
1: All right, our next one is a possible data breach DHS employees jailed for stealing data of 200,000 U.S. government workers the three pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit theft of government property and to defraud the United States and theft of government property at various times between 2019 and 2022 the three men shared um So basically, they stole a database, I believe they said, from the U.S. Postal Service. The three men shared the stolen assets with an India-based software developers to develop a similar commercial product to sell to government agencies. One of the databases that was exposed to the Indian contractors contained personally identifiable information on 200,000 federal employees of the DHS, OIG, and USPS, OIGO Office of the Inspector General. So, uh, and DHS is Department of Homeland Security, for those who don't know, and USPS is the Postal Service. Actually, the cynical part of me is like, man, if they hadn't been caught, they'd be millionaires by now. This totally would have worked. Indian
0: state government fixes website bugs that exposed residents-sensitive documents. So uh, we think this is an update, but we don't quite know. Um, But we've covered a handful of things like this, so it's kind of hard to tell what this one's tied to. But the bugs existed on the government website related to the Idhar a state program to provide a single identifier to families and individuals in the state to access welfare schemes. And we've covered a lot of things regarding Adhar, Adar, Adar uh, apologies if we're not pronouncing that right. Um, but the bugs expose uh, the copies of these cards, birth and marriage certificates, electricity bills, and income statements related to re- registrants, as well as personal information such as their date of birth, gender, and father's name one of the bugs allowed anyone to access personal documents and information with knowledge of a registrant's phone number the other bug allowed the return of sensitive data because the server was not properly checking the validity of one-time passwords awesome on the one-time passwords front <laughs> um, but yeah i wonder if you just put in any runtime password and it's like yeah cool <laughs> that's, that's hey, perfect six we like it sweet <laughs> <laughs> great yeah <laughs> it's a yes man uh <laughs> yes man platform
1: <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. All right, with that, we'll move into companies. We'll start off with Raspberry Pi, who is planning a London IPO, but its CEO expects, quote, no change in focus. Um, And an IPO, for those who don't know, is an initial public offering. Basically, they're uh, planning to become a public company. Um, People can buy shares. They'll be traded on the stock market. The CEO tells Ars Technica that while it is an understandable thing that Raspberry Pi enthusiasts could be concerned, quote, while I'm involved in running the thing, I don't expect people to see any change in how we do things. Apparently, there's two sides to the Raspberry Pi company, whatever they're considered, There's the nonprofit side that I think most of us watching this are probably familiar with where they talk about like all the educational things you can do and you should get a Raspberry Pi to like self host your own data and learn programming and stuff like that. And then there's the for profit side who specifically targets it's the same stuff, but they sell it to, uh, you know, companies and and government agencies and things like that as just kind of like, hey, here's a reasonably priced computer that can, you know, run some small programs like a Raspberry Pi does. Um, so that's what he's talking about when he says this, the IPO is about the foundation Upton said with that charitable arm selling some of its majority stake in the business entity to raise funds and expand the foundation was previously funded by dividends from the business side. He said, we do this transaction and the proceeds of that transaction allow the foundation to train teachers, run clubs, expand programs, and do those things at least at a factor of two X. That's what I'm most excited about. Uh, And then asked about the concerns that Raspberry Pi could focus its attention on higher volume customers after public investors are involved. Upton said there would be no change to the kinds of products that Pi makes and that they are culturally important to us. That was a quote. Upton noted that Raspberry Pi, apart from a single retail store, does not sell pies directly, but through resellers. Margin structures at Raspberry Pi have, quote, stayed the same all the way through, unquote, and should remain so after the IPO. Look, I want to believe this guy. I'm not going to lie because I do like Raspberry Pi's. I have two of them. And for some reason, I always want more, even though I have nothing to do with them. But, like, they're cool. They're great little. You know, they're small. Um, I actually have one of them Velcroed behind a TV so that it's out of the way. I've seen this at at job sites. Like, companies will, because it's a cheap way to do um, digital signage in, like, a restaurant or a store or something, instead of doing something super complicated, they just literally get a Raspberry Pi, Velcro it behind the TV, and run their slides or whatever. So... Like, I love Raspberry Pis, I think they're cool, but I, I also think it's it's right to be concerned. Um, but at this time, I, I guess we'll really just have to see what the future plays out. All right, uh, Microsoft. Microsoft's been making a lot of news
0: lately. Apparently they're very rich now. Just caught everyone off guard. Uh, but Microsoft Yeah, teams... I saw
1: that today. <laughs> they're the most valuable yeah, company what... in the world now at about $3 trillion. I'm like, when the hell did that happen?
0: Yeah, when did that come from? Like, no, no, they were never included in like the antitrust stuff or anything, and they're just like, yeah, we're rich now. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, um, wild. Anyway, uh, Microsoft Teams phishing pushes DarkGate malware via group chats. So this is a signal boost for our audience, and the attackers used what looks like a compromised Teams user or domain to send over 1,000 malicious Teams group chat invite so watch out for this after the targets accept the chat request the threat actors trick them into downloading a file using a double extension named navigating future changes october 2023.pdf.msi which is a common dark gate tactic once installed the malware will reach out its command and control server at gibberish.com which is already confirmed as part of dark gate malware infrastructure when i say gibberish it's quite literally h-g-f-d-y-t-r ywq.com. So, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, y- you know this is definitely going to you know reach gullible people. I think is what you might be thinking, but this could be anybody. So uh, watch out for it. Don't just download random things that are titled .pdf.msi. That's kind of a red flag right there. And just keep an eye on that kind of
1: stuff going forward. There's phishing attempts everywhere now. Research Meta will share data with researchers studying online well-being meta has announced a collaboration with the Center for open Science a nonprofit dedicated to transparency in academic research as part of this pilot program meta says that it will share quote privacy preserving social media data unquote with select academic researchers who study well-being and quoting their VP of research at meta we want to do our part to contribute to the scientific community's understanding of how different factors may or may not relate to people's well-being we're committed to doing this in a way that respects the privacy of people who use our app academics have pushed for years to get platforms to share more data with them for research but as the impact of Social media on mental health becomes an increasingly urgent concern in Congress. These efforts have accelerated. In November, Meta expanded researchers' access to data through a transparency product called the Meta Content Library, which made already available data like public posts, comments, and reactions easier to analyze at scale.
0: Uh, ransomware payments dropped to record low as victims refused to pay. And this is a good headline this is what people have been trying to make happen for a long time now so um the number of ransomware victims paying ransom demands has dropped to a record low of 29 percent in the final quarter of 2023 according to ransomware negotiation firm coveware according to them the reason for this drop is multifaceted including better preparedness by organizations a lack of trust towards cybercriminals promising not to publish stolen data, and legal pressure in some regions where paying a ransom is now illegal. Covera has found that even when data is stolen in cyberattacks, the payment rate was just 26% in the last quarter. Not only have the number of victims paying ransom were dropped, but also the dollar amounts of actual ransom payments. And they say that the ransom payments in Q4 of 2023 had an average amount of whew, $568,705, which you might be thinking, oh my gosh, But that's still somehow a 33% drop from the previous quarter, while the median ransom payment was 200000 Unfortunately, as we enter 2024, ransomware remains a major global cybersecurity challenge, demonstrating a remarkable resilience against existing solutions. Despite this, the observed drop in ransom payment rates signifies a positive trend, indicating that the concentrated efforts to combat this issue are steering the situation in the right direction. This is good, because I feel like it's not too long ago we started seeing peaks, So it looks like we're falling from the peaks. So hopefully that continues to nosedive and not continue to get worse. But um, good stuff. Good, look at that. Positive
1: news on this podcast. Go us, woot woot. Now let's move into politics. We're gonna start off with, um, we're just kind of keeping you updated on this story. So for those who don't know, there's this bill called the Kids Online Safety Act or COSA or CASA, I don't know how people are pronouncing it. Ostensibly, it means well, but in reality, it's just... Whether intentionally or not, it just severely erodes privacy and security and anonymity and just basically all your civil rights and actual safeties online. Uh, so this headline says Microsoft and X throw their weight behind Cosa, the controversial kids online safety bill on the eve of Wednesday's big tech hearing, which is this past Wednesday. So it's already passed. Microsoft stepped up to back a controversial bill that aims to protect children from the dangers of social media in the early hours of the hearing. Ex puppet CEO Linda Yaccarino also climbed aboard. And that's my commentary for the record. We all know she's not actually running X. She is just there as a figurehead. Snaps Evan Spiegel restated his company, and this is I'm just kind of quoting what some of the other companies had to say. Snaps Evan Spiegel restated his company's previous commitment to support the new proposal to regulate social media apps. Senator, we strongly support the Kids' Online Safety Act, and we've already implemented many of its core provisions. Meta, Discord, and TikTok, meanwhile, of all people... All demurred, pointing to groups that have criticized the bill or stating that they support some of its parts and not others. The article goes on to point out that the bill was revised, I think they said at least once, last year. In spite of some revisions, the bill's many critics have warned that COSA would dangerously sanitize the internet, empower censorship, and isolate young LGBTQ people in the process. Security, privacy, and free press advocates have also called attention to the bill's potential threats to encryption. The bill was revised last year in response to some criticisms, but many concerns persist. While X and Snap... And we were just talking... About this earlier. While X and Snap are popular social media apps, they're on the fringe compared to the heft of a company like Microsoft. Microsoft, now worth roughly $3 trillion, is currently the most valuable company in the world and a sophisticated operator in the world of policy that's been around long enough to know how to play the game. So just kind of adding some context there.
0: U.S. disabled Chinese hacking network targeting critical infrastructure. So the hacking group at the center of recent activity called Vault Typhoon has especially alarmed intelligence officials who say it is part of a larger effort to compromise Western critical infrastructure, including naval ports, internet service providers, and utilities. While the Volt Typhoon campaign initially came to light in May of 2023, the hackers expanded the scope of their operations late last year and changed some of their techniques, according to three people familiar with the matter. Since last year, China's network security agencies have issued reports one after another, revealing that the U.S. government has carried out cyber attacks on China's key infrastructure for a long time. Such irresponsible policies and practices put the global critical infrastructure at great risk. Um... Vault Volt Typhoon has functioned by taking control of vulnerable digital devices around the world like routers, modems, and even internet-connected security cameras note on those iot devices to hide later downstream attacks into more sensitive targets security researchers told reuters so very high level stuff this isn't probably something that uh, you all can do very much about outside of just avoiding iot devices and practicing best things that we normally recommend like updating passwords keeping things up to date uh, checking uh, for any suspicious activity on your devices and things like that so uh, more to just keep this on your radar i'm sure we'll get updates at some point
1: All right. Senators demand Justice Department halt funding to predictive policing programs. So this comes from the markup. They say a group of seven Democratic members of Congress have issued a public letter demanding the Department of Justice stop issuing grants to fund predictive policing projects unless the agency, quote, can ensure that grant recipients will not use such systems in ways that have a discriminatory impact, unquote. They go on to say mounting evidence indicates that predictive policing technologies do not reduce crime. Instead, they worsen the unequal treatment of Americans of color by law enforcement. The idea behind predictive policing is that by feeding historical crime data into a computer algorithm, it's possible to to determine where crime is most likely to occur or who is most likely to offend. Law enforcement officials can then make proactive interventions like conducting patrols in predicted crime locations, ideally stopping crime before it occurs. Uh, However, and then they go on to cite a couple of specific examples here, a subsequent markup investigation into Geolitica's algorithm found, Geolitica is one of these predictive policing agencies, uh, into their algorithm found that less than 1% of its predictions aligned with a crime later reported to police. Geolitica shut down operations last year. An investigation by the Tampa Bay Times into a Florida sheriff's office use of a person-based predictive policing program found that software is used as the basis for a campaign of intimidation, intimidation and harassment of families, its systems identified as being likely to commit a crime at some point in the future. future um if y'all have not read that story you should because it is totally wild just look up like Tampa, Sheriff, Predictive Policing. I'm sure you'll get plenty of hits. The letter highlights the federal government's role in funding predictive policing programs and called for a thorough audit of all grants the agency has issued for predictive policing technology dating back over a decade. And then they go on to offer some solutions here. They say one example for a different framework for using predictive policing model of crime, hotspots, is risk terrain modeling. This method combines data about where crime is most likely to occur with land use information to identify the environmental factors behind why crime tends to cluster in certain locations. In Newark, New Jersey, for example... Risk terrain modeling was used to identify city owned abandoned properties and vacant lots that attracted crime, which was then prioritized for the development of public parks or affordable housing. I I know I mentioned it before, but it's a really good book. Uh, The Rise of Big Data Policing by Andrew Guthrie Ferguson is an incredibly thorough examination of all this stuff and goes into detail. And he mentions that in one part of the book is like the only place he found at the time that actually effectively used predictive policing was new Orleans. And that's because new Orleans didn't just do like, okay, here's where all the crime is going to occur. Go send out a bunch of cops. They used it holistically. So they'd be like, Oh, there's like all the streetlights are out in this neighborhood. Let's go replace the streetlights. lights. Oh, Uh, There's a high unemployment rate in this neighborhood. Let's like reinvest in some like job skill programs to train people with new skills so they can go get jobs. And when they took this holistic overall approach, they saw a lot of success. They were the only city that actually saw success with predictive policing because they used it with other data to do more than just arrest people. So, yeah, um, I mean, obviously, from the glowing review, I'm giving it. I I think that's probably the way to go. And that is also a great book to read to learn a lot more about this issue. I highly recommend it.
0: All right, Citibank has been sued over failure to defend customers against hacks and fraud. This is from the New York Attorney General who is suing Citibank over... Uh, alleged failure to defend customers against hacks and scams, and refusal to reimburse victims after allowing fraudsters to steal millions from their accounts. This is uh, in form of a lawsuit, and this investigation now into how Citibank protects customers from scammers and hackers found inadequacies in responding to potential red flags of fraudulent activities. Notably, the bank systems didn't effectively react to attackers using unrecognized devices, accessing accounts from new, lo- from new locations, or even when changing users' banking credentials. Furthermore, Citibank failed to flag and prevent attempts to transfer funds from multiple accounts into a single account, making it easy for malicious actors to quickly transfer tens of thousands of dollars from their victims' Citibank accounts within minutes. The complaint also highlights Citibank's alleged failure to automatically initiate investigations or report fraudulent activities to law enforcement after customers' initial reports were filed with the bank. Victims reporting fraud to Citibank also faced lengthy telephone holds, allowing scammers to keep transferring stolen funds to bank accounts under their control at third-party banks. The Citibank representatives also allegedly falsely assured customers who had their accounts hacked or taken over by scammers that their funds were secure and promised the return of stolen funds without taking immediate action. Furthermore, they falsely directed consumers to local Citibank branches to execute special affidavits detailing the scams they fell victim to, information that was subsequently used to blame the victims and deny their reimbursement claims uh, using boilerplate letters listing predetermined conclusions such as failure to adequately safeguard their own accounts or handing over their account info to scammers. Um, Very bad look, and it's interesting. I haven't seen a case like this before where... Um, They're really trying to crack down on what seems like not being proactive enough. Uh, Normally, it's just okay to do this kind of stuff. So I think that some people might consider this an overreach, but I think it's kind of a nice welcome change to see someone being held accountable for what seems like a really crappy move
1: uh, that that they made. Our next story comes from Apple in the UK. It's a pretty quick one. Apple says the UK could, quote, secretly veto global privacy tools. So apparently... The U.K. government is trying to update the Investigatory Powers Act of 2016, and they are trying to include an amendment that basically if any tech company, or maybe only certain ones, but certainly Apple falls into this, and I doubt it's just Apple, but basically if Apple tried to push an update, and the U.K. home office decided for for any reason, like, no, we're not going to allow that update in our country. Anyways, for whatever reason, if the U.K. home office is like, no, you can't release this update in the U.K., Then they can't release it anywhere else, like under this law, which I don't even know how that's enforceable. I can't even if I was the president, I can't tell people in other countries what they can do, but whatever. Um, And so, yeah, Apple is criticizing this and they're saying that this is basically a way for them to secretly veto any sort of privacy improvements because, you know, Apple, for all the bad things they do, they do sometimes do good things like rolling out app tracking transparency and, you know, like blocking third party cookies and things like that. And, you know, yeah. So, and then just some context. They said the existing act has been dubbed a snoopers charter by critics. And this is not the first time Apple has lashed out against proposals to increase its scope. So, uh, we will try to keep you guys updated if we hear anything more about that.
0: This is an interesting one. The Danish Data Protection Authority issues an injunction in the Chromebook case. Thank you to the Privacy Dad for submitting this. um, Who, fun fact, has a whole blog Uh, about, like, privacy, security, digital rights, relationship with digital devices, more for, like, parents, and a parent's perspective, inspired by one of our surveillance reports where we said someone should do it, and someone did it, so go, go you. Um, But pretty much they sent us along. So apparently since the summer, the Danish Data Protection Authority has reviewed the case of the use of Google Workspace in schools and has made a decision. Drum roll, the material now submitted that there is a transfer of personal data that Google uses for its own purposes. The Danish Data Protection Authority has therefore assessed the legality of these disclosures and made a decision in this part of the case. Drum roll number two. Uh, Most IT standard products today have a very complex contractual basis which not only contains many options for variations in the processing of personal data but also has a relatively high frequency of changes. This makes it more difficult than necessary for data responsible companies and authorities to live up to GDPR because it is easy to lose track of what's actually happening with data. We at the Danish Data Protection Authority therefore call for contracts to be made more transparent not just in relation to the processing structure but also in relation the consequences when conditions surrounding the delivery change so not really like a anti or for decision but more of a we need more transparency around this so um, perhaps this will have
1: further updates but definitely an interesting story nonetheless and now it's time for free and open source software news or foss we'll start with proton the proton mail desktop app for windows and mac os are now accessible in beta to all supporters on paid subscriptions Um, the title pretty much says it all. I would like to mildly call out Proton for posting this on Reddit and not a blog post because I don't give a crap that Reddit exists, but I am subscribed to their blog on RSS. I'll also do your shilling for you this week and say, I found out about this because of your forum. I have subscribed on RSS. So that's where I learned about this.
0: (laughs) Discuss.techler.tech. You don't even need, I mean, if you want to register and be a part of it, which I would love, you can just click sign in with simple login. And that's it. You're done. You're in. Or you can just follow anything with RSS like Nate's doing. Just add .rss to any category so you can just follow news or something like that. Just
1: have yeah. a blast. I was going to say, I'm not. I'm not signed up. I'm just there to... Lurk and subscribe. So, anyways, yeah, the title really says it all. Um, and they say thanks to initial feedback, they have added some new features and bug fixes, including easier access to the calendar via the app switcher on macOS, notification badges for unread messages, improved accessibility and font support, easy switch and Gmail sync can now be set up from within the app, uh, allowing you to easily sync emails, contacts, and calendars from non-Proton accounts, and the option to set Proton Mail as your defa- default email client on macOS. And then, of course, they say we're also working on a Linux app and we'll release it soon for testing.
0: Next one is from FDroid, which is the open-source app store on Android. Uh, unattended updates for everyone, 1.19 is here. So FDroid, both basic and regular, now support unattended upgrades, though it has to be manually enabled, and it requires Android 12 or later. What are unattended updates, Nate? I do not know what that means.
1: It's uh, it's automatic updates, like... um. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Play Store does it. It never did it for me when I was on stock Android, but the Play Store usually does it. Same thing with the App Store. It usually does it. Um, could have been something on my end. But yeah, it's just automatic updates. So you don't have to manually go to F-Droid and check for updates all the time and install them. You can just tell it to automatically check for updates you know, every hour, every 12 hours, however often you want. And if it finds them, it'll install them. Our next story is just a kind of, a uh, for our Linux users, new Linux Glibc flaw glibc I guess flaw lets attackers get root on major distros so I went and checked this is a severity 9.8 that was conveniently not mentioned in the article. Quoting the article while testing their findings the researchers confirmed that Debian 12 and 13, Ubuntu 23.04 and 23.10 and Fedora 37 through 39 were all vulnerable to the CVE exploits allowing any unprivileged user to escalate privileges to full root access on default installations. Although their tests were limited to a handful of distros the researchers added that quote other distributions are probably also exploitable unquote i'm just gonna leave it at that if you want the technical details they're in the article but the short version is make sure you check for updates which to be honest if you're a a linux user you probably know that you're probably pretty good about it but you know just in case it's been a minute go ahead and open up your terminal or your store or however you update and check
0: i just wanted to quickly throw this in but the divest os fundraiser uh, which we already made an announcement for not too long ago is about 75 percent there And there's less than a month now to hit the rest. So if you're trying to support a project or if you're someone who uses DivestOS, which is an Android ROM, uh, even if you chuck a few dollars that way, they're not too far away from
1: their goal. So there you go. And finally, let's move into Misfits. 18 year old cleared after encrypted Snapchat joke led to F18s and arrest. So this comes from Slashdot and uh, quoting the article. Aditya Verma admitted he told his friends on July 2022, quote, on my way to blow up the plane, I'm a member of the Taliban, unquote. But he said he had made the joke in a private Snapchat group and never intended to cause public distress. The message he sent to friends before boarding the plane went on to be picked up by UK security services. They then flagged it to the Spanish authorities while the plane was still in the air. Two Spanish F-18 fighter jets were sent to flank the aircraft. One followed the plane until it landed at Menorca, where the plane was searched. Mr. Verma, who was 18 at the time, was arrested and held in Spanish police cell for two days. He was later released on bail. But how did his message first get from the encrypted app to the UK security services? One theory raised at the trial was that it could have been intercepted via Gatwick's Wi Fi network. I'm guessing that's the uh, airport. But a spokesperson from the airport told BBC News that its network does not have that capability. A spokesperson for Snapchat said the social media platform would not comment on what's happened in this individual case. The answer, as I'm sure you all know if you're watching this, is that it's not encrypted. One slash dot commentator thinks it's obvious what happened. Snapchat's own website says they scan messages for threats and pass them on to authorities. Quote, we also work to proactively escalate to law enforcement any content appearing to involve imminent threats to life, such as bomb threats. In the case of emergency disclosure for requests from law enforcement, our 24-7 team usually responds within 30 minutes. Unquote. So, yeah. Um, uh, I've mentioned before, I have a friend in law enforcement who's told me direct snap, snaps, like person-to-person, one-to-one, are end-to-end encrypted. The metadata is not for the record. I'm not saying Snapchat is private. I'm just saying the content, the metadata is encrypted. Snaps like the kind you post in your stories are not. And judging from this, it seems like group chats are not either. So yeah, uh, these these platforms are not private. They're not encrypted. And um, this is just a friendly reminder of that. So try not to make jokes like that or better yet, just switch to like, you know, signal or something encrypted
0: vastamo hacker traced via untraceable monero transactions police says let's get into the the dirt so in october 2020 psychotherapy center Vostamo announced they had been breached in 2018 by someone who stole thousands of patient records and demanded a payment of 40 bitcoins which is around half a million dollars at the time to not publicly release the stolen data Failing to extort the clinic, the hacker turned to individual patients, asking them to pay roughly $240 in Bitcoin to delete their records. Finnish investigators from the National Bureau of Investigation, with the help of Binance, followed the trail of payments to Kivamaki, who exchanged the funds for Monero and then exchanged them back to Bitcoin. KRP did not disclose the exact mechanism for tracing the Monero transactions, citing the need to protect sensitive investigative techniques that can prove invaluable in future cases. Thus, the exact methods involved are unclear. According to an additional Lemmy post shared with Nate by a trusted source in the episode link, the suspect also leaked their own identity at one point. So, I would not be concerned right away. I think that there's, first off, there's definitely some Bitcoin stuff involved here, and they exposed their identity at some point. Um, This kind of reminds me of like Tor browser, people who are caught using Tor, how a lot of them at some point actually don't use it properly and they screw up. Um, And so I guess it's tough to tell what happened here. Either way, as far as we know, an actual Monero to Monero transaction does protect your anonymity very strongly. But as always, you can't really protect what happens outside of that transaction. And even then, it seems like this was highly isolated. So I wouldn't be concerned about like daily monero transactions but still really interesting and hopefully we get some details about this because it would be cool to see how this played out and if this is something that we need to be more concerned about but personally i'm not like super concerned about this at the moment
1: and then also someone else pointed out in my matrix room the irs last i checked still has a standing bounty of what a quarter of a million dollars for anyone who can trace monero so like I mean, if you're a company that figured out how to do this, number one, you're going to be going straight to all the VC investors and like, hey, guess what we can do? Throw us money. And then number two, why would you not go get the IRS bounty? Because one, it's publicity and two, it's money. Like, yeah. Yeah. All, all signs seem to be pointing that this is not a technical failure, it's it's an OPSEC failure. All
0: right, uh, we always talk about safe words in the bedroom and this is going to carry over into the real world because AI voice clone scams are a thing and you should probably have a safe word. So this is signal boosting a pretty good idea, which is, uh, you know, this is quoting a story here. Your grandfather receives a call late at night from a person pretending to be you. The caller says that you are in jail or have been kidnapped and that they need money urgently to get you out of trouble. Perhaps they then bring on fake police officer or kidnapper to heighten detention. The money, of course, should be wired right away to an unfamiliar account at an unfamiliar bank. It's a classic and common scam. And like many scams, it relies on a scary, urgent scenario to override the victim's common sense and make them more likely to send money. Now scammers are reportedly experimenting with a way to further heighten that panic by playing a simulated recording of your voice, which is an AI version of your voice. The ability to create audio deepfakes of people's voices using machine learning and just minutes of them speaking has become relatively cheap and easy to require technology. Scammers have figured out that they can use this to clone the voice of regular people, and suddenly your relative isn't talking to someone who sounds like a complete stranger. They're actually talking to you, uh, which makes the scam much more concerning. Voice generation scams aren't widespread yet, but they do happen, and they're real. So the first step is to agree with your family on a password you can all remember and use. The most important thing is that it should be easy to remember in a panic, hard to forget, and not public information. You could use the name of a well-known person or object in your family, an inside joke, a family name, or any word that you can all remember easily. And despite the name, this doesn't need to be limited to your family. It can be family, workplace, anarchist, witch, coven, etc. Um, Any group of people with which you associate can benefit from having a password. Then uh, pretty much the whole concept is, you know, you get called and it sounds like somebody and you're like, okay, this is really sus. Uh, Oh, hey, what's that word that we agreed on? And if it's not the right word, then you can probably just uh, hang up. Now, um, one thing I'll add to this, too, is I think this is why sometimes, you know, we're very forward when we say that security through obscurity is not like, you know, the thing you should always rely on. But I am a big fan of security through obscurity when it comes to situations like this because if someone doesn't know your relative's phone numbers in the first place, this is not even a scam they can execute. And so your contact book, your address book should be kept very private. You shouldn't be freely sharing that information. You should try to keep your information out of uh, data broker kind of databases so you can't easily see, oh, here's father's phone number right here. We can just call the father and they recorded this video on their Snapchat that we can use to create an AI version of their voice. Uh, there, they have their two things they need to conduct this scam. So try to really restrict this. Also, if you're using services like Signal and whatnot and you're verified on those platforms, Um, It's gonna be very hard to impersonate somebody unless they somehow did an endpoint attack and took over a device Which now is a very different type of attack. So Yeah, just various thoughts of mine. Well, that was a pretty good week I think that we had a lot of good quality in there this week. We even had some positive stories Uh, To kind of recap though Google may soon start reading your Android messages So maybe use something better uh, than Android's uh, built-in messenger Uh, Raspberry Pi is going public again hopefully we're wrong Uh, rumors that Monero can be traced, and more. Again, if you like this podcast and you got value from it, we're just happy you're here. But if you really want to support us and keep it sustainable, support us over at patreon.com slash surveillancepod. Again, uh, I do think that eventually we're going to look at sponsors at some point this year, but until then, we still want to have independence so that we're not fully dependent on sponsors so that we can still have... uh, I don't know, integrity with what we're doing here uh, through the crowdfunding and stuff like that. So really appreciate all of that and you enable us to do that. And also we're on LibrePay. And yes, we still support Monero. Um, And again, we just want to thank you for being here and keeping yourself and the people around you safe. Again, if you're around a family or friends, maybe think about putting a a little password together that you all can share. And yeah, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.